Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches, Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. We are continuing our amazing series of God's Kingdom Purpose for Man. And this week, we're tackling part four. And the title of this teaching is called God is Good All the Time. God is Good All the Time. In the last episode, before before I get started, before I get started, I just want to thank you all, all the people who've been listening and all the people who've been writing in to tell us how amazing this series has been in your life, how much change it has uh, brought to your lives. This is just so encouraging for me and Liz to hear this, to, to read this on a regular basis and to have you guys comment and uh, write in and tell us of what this has been doing in your life. So we're really encouraged. It really gives us uh, wind beneath our wings, if you would say. And you're going to want to share this podcast with those that that you love that are Christians because every Christian can really relate to this podcast this week. Absolutely. Yeah, this is for every single believer out there. And um, uh, like I said, if you guys, if you're blessed, and Liz just mentioned it, just go ahead and share it with your loved ones. Share it with people you know it's going to encourage. And I know some of you have been doing that so far. So this is great. And if you're new listening to this podcast, welcome. We're happy you're listening in. And if you want to have access to more of those amazing life-changing podcasts, just go to our website, thrivingonpurpose.com, and click on podcasts. And you'll have the whole list of all of the podcasts we have been doing since the beginning of our adventure. So, in last episode, we learned that the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, which that's what gospel means, the good news, was that God brought back the power and influence of the kingdom of heaven back to earth, in men's hearts, and through the power of the Holy Ghost. We also learned that through this new covenant, we have access, through Jesus Christ, to God's favor, blessings, and, yes, riches, here and now. Okay, so you're not only going to be happy and living the felicity or, or, or blessed or, or have access to riches only once you die in heaven someday. You have this here and now, right now, because God is your Father and because of what He brought back under the new covenant, which gives access to believers a great empowerment through the Holy Spirit to the riches of the kingdom here and now, but not only the riches, but the power of God to be able to access his throne and get him access and influence in the earth realm in your own life. Okay, so that's what we learned. We also learned that painful toil and sweat and worry to obtain our sustenance is the way of the pagans or the unbelievers. According to who? According to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Okay, when he said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Absolutely. Amen. So we learned that since the coming of Jesus, everything changed for those who believe. Now you might be thinking, if that's true, how come there's so much suffering on earth, right? That's the, the, the big question that everybody, believer or non-believer, questions. Mm. And most of all, how come that hasn't been true in my life? Why do I suffer? You know, why, why do I go through uh, difficult times? So in this episode, we will tackle the reasons why only very few of us actually tap into the blessed and abundant life that Jesus promised. And as you'll see, it isn't God's fault. It isn't God's fault. And that's the biggest question, one of life's biggest questions for believers and unbelievers alike. Why is there suffering in the world? And <laughs> I... <laughs> I don't pretend to have all the answers. I mean, I've been scratching my own head uh, since I've been a believer and even you know, as a child or whatever uh, for a long time. This is not a question that you can fully answer, especially not in a one-hour podcast. But I think we're onto something, as you will see, and we're going to bring today. You're going to see that we're onto something really that puts us on the right track to answer that question and have a conviction about that question. So this is what you're going to see today. So the Bible in Romans, okay, admonishes us this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that's in Romans 12, verse 2. As believers, we are not to be conformed to what Paul calls the pattern of this world. We are not to think like the world thinks, see like the world sees, understand like the world understands, live like the world lives, and most of all, believe what the world believes. Exactly. So you see the world or unbelievers believe through their senses. And I'm sure you've noticed that around you, uh, what they can see, what they can touch, what they can hear, what they can smell. So going by faith like we do as believers and, you know, the Holy Spirit talking to our, our soul and um, so many different things that happen when you're a believer. A big part of you is living in the spiritual realm and a lot of uh unbelievers can't comprehend because they're living in the tangible of what they can feel touch and see and everything else to them is sort of like well you're living in a fantasy world i don't get it like how could you believe this and they they just don't understand our conviction because they're not living it themselves yeah and like i tell you often liz uh, uh, for us believers the supernatural has to become our natural right Uh, That's how you live in the Spirit. So as believers, we're called to what Paul called a renewing of our minds, which will lead us into transformation. In the Gospel, there is an instance when Jesus gets somewhat impatient with our conformity with the world. Okay, And that instance is found in Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 to 18. Liz, would you like to read it for us? Yes. It says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. 
He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Jesus said, you unbelieving and perverse. Ouch. Ouch. When Jesus said, you unbelieving and perverse generation. These words sound harsh, but what did Jesus mean? Well, if we read the end of the story, we realize that Jesus equated perverse thinking with unbelief. When his disciples asked why they couldn't cast out the demon, he answered them this, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So underline that word in your Bibles, nothing will be impossible for you for you. And do not give me that quote by Winnie the Pooh where he says, people say that nothing is impossible, but I do nothing every day. <laughs> Don't give me that. <laughs> that was just a little joke here. So now let's talk about the word perverse because Jesus called them a perverse generation. He was really kind of upset with, um, with everybody there. So he said, you perverse generation. So what does the word perverse mean? Well, Merriam-Webster defines perverse this way. Turned away from what is right or good. And then they give it a synonym, corrupt. Other synonyms are improper or incorrect. Also part of the definition is obstinate in opposing what is right, reasonable, or accepted. And here there's another synonym that they put, and I think it's really spot on, wrong-headed. Remember Paul said, have your mind renewed, may it not conform to the pattern of this world. Well, that's fascinating when you think that perverse can mean wrong-headed. So perverse in the context means wrong-headed, which is to say having or showing bad judgment or being misguided. So you see, the disciples were not able to cast out the demon because they had too little faith and wrong thinking. The two are inextricably linked. So they're linked, okay? Yeah, so when we fail to move mountains in our own lives, it is not because God has failed us. It is because we have failed God through our own lack of faith. That's good, Liz. Yeah, exactly. So when we... When we fail to move mountains, it's not because of God. It's because of us. We have failed God. We show lack of faith. We cannot have what heaven has unless we think like heaven thinks. You can jot that down. That's a good, that's a good thing to remember. We cannot have what heaven has unless we think like heaven thinks. We need to repent from our perverse thinking and begin having right thinking. Yes, exactly. Only right thinking can bring right believing. And only right believing can make us say to mountains, move out of the way. Amen to that, sister. 
So for the record, God is good all the time. Okay, we're going to look at this. So the first and most important corrective measure believers need to bring to their understanding in order to have mustard seed size faith is that God is good all the time. We say it all the time, but do we believe it? Let's consider a few things, okay? In our insurance policies, what is termed to be acts of God are things like uh, natural disasters, earthquakes, volcanoes, tornadoes, and hurricanes, which can take the lives and possessions of many people. We call that acts of God. That's in our vernacular. So we basically equate massive loss of life with God. Now, that's what I call perverse thinking. And then we kid ourselves in trying to reconcile such things with our belief or theology that God is good. But that can be extremely challenging for believers. How can you reconcile an image of God like that and yet still believe that God is good? Yeah, we're going to say it. Like I said earlier, we're going to say, we say it all the time, God is good all the time. But do we really believe it? And you know... Um when I when I started studying this with Sebastian, we realized, you know, that even for us, um, you know, I had been raised in the church many, many years and uh, basically, you know, was dedicated to as a baby. And so this was like part of my way of of believing that God is good and and everything we saw around us happen in the church, you know, all kinds of things would happen and there was without realizing like what we're going to bring up in this podcast you're going to see it as well is that it's we don't realize that we have perverse thinking until we we start debunking certain things and that's what we're going to do in this podcast to help you see that you know it all goes into sync with having faith as a mustard seed uh, is strengthened by believing first that God is good and subconsciously with you know like you were saying with the insurance policies with different things around us in the world our our verbiage says the contrary exactly. and we don't even realize how brainwashed we are in our, in our subconscious mind that we actually do believe mm. that God is not really good exactly. in reality. Exactly. That's so. what we believe, but we say we don't believe that. No, because that would be wrong to say that, Exactly, right? because in our conscious mind, we're like, no, no, God is good because yeah, we're believers, yeah. right? But that's why it's so hard to step in faith sometimes because in our subconscious mind, there's that, that negative doubt there. Exactly. So well put, Liz. Thanks for sharing that. And before we continue, I want to share with you guys a clip, okay? It's an interview with a New Testament professor of great worldwide renown. His name is Bart D. Ehrman. You might have heard of him if you're someone who likes to dig. Maybe you didn't, but anyway, who is Bart Ehrman? You see, uh, Bart Ehrman has authored numerous scholarly books about the Bible and the New Testament, and mostly how we got our Bible and how the process of translation is done, and, and, and how we got the final texts in our Bibles today. He's a very interesting scholar, very interesting man too. And Bart Ehrman, uh, his wife, is a believer. She's a born-again Christian. And I have some of his books at home, and I've read them. They are interesting. However, 
and here's what you, you where you might go like, huh? Bart Ehrman is a self-avowed agnostic. Well, he used to believe in God. Yeah, but we'll get to that. So, although Bart Ehrman is a gifted Bible scholar, he is not a believer. And in this snippet of an interview I have with him, he reveals why his beliefs went from a fundamentalist Christian, which is basically the uh, the hardcore Christians who uh, you, you don't budge anything from Scripture and everything is, is founded concrete. in Scriptures, concrete, exactly, to becoming an agnostic. And I think you will find this clip, this interview, interesting with Mr. Ehrman, okay? So here's the clip. Have a listen. I'm Bart Ehrman. I'm, uh, I identify as both a humanist and an agnostic. And uh, are, you, uh, are you openly agnostic? Uh, what do you mean openly? Do people know it or do your family know Am it? Am I in the closet? <laughs> yes, I'm quite openly agnostic. Everybody knows it. So yes, writing books about it means you're open. Huh? Uh, well, if anybody reads my books, they know I, I'm an agnostic, yeah. <laughs> now, and I find it interesting, um, having read uh, most of your books, uh, how you talk about that you weren't always uh, agnostic. No, I started out as an uh, evangelical Christian. Uh, I got interested in biblical studies because I was a—I was actually a fundamentalist and uh, as a late teenager, and that's what got me interested in the Bible. But as I developed my scholarship through graduate school, I realized that my beliefs about the Bible were completely wrong, that um, the Bible is not some kind of inerrant revelation from God. Uh, and so for years, I turned—I had become a, a liberal Christian. Um, I still went to church, I still believed in God, but I, was, uh, I didn't believe that the Bible was the inspired Word of God. Um, but after many years of being a liberal Christian, I finally became an agnostic uh, for reasons unrelated to my scholarship, uh, reason having to do with why there's suffering in the world if there's a God who's in control. Uh, I, 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 for years I had thought about it, I read what biblical authors said, I read what theologians said, I read what philosophers said, and I got to a point where I just didn't believe it anymore. And so I, uh, I just acknowledge at one point then that I'm probably an agnostic, and that's what I've been for maybe 15 or 16 years. It sounds like it was a very um, gradual uh, process. It was. Uh, you know, when some, I've, I've heard people say that I went from being, that I <laughs> went from being a fundamentalist to being an agnostic uh, because of problems in the Bible. And it's completely wrong. It was a very long process. I was a very open-minded, uh, liberal Christian for many, many years. Uh, and it was really this problem of suffering that ended up uh, creating the, the big issue for me that led me to be to acknowledge that I'm, I'm an agnostic. So we're back. As you heard in the clip, Mr. Herman said that the main reason why he lost faith in the God of the Bible was because ultimately he found that there is too much suffering in the world. And he believes it is because of God, or rather, because of, a, uh, of God's lack of involvement. Okay, so he's mentioned that many times. I've had the opportunity throughout the years to, uh, well, I actually took the time to listen to some debates, uh, some scholarly debates between Bart Ehrman and others who were arguing uh, about the New Testament, all kinds of stuff. A very interesting man, very knowledgeable, but he, came, he became an agnostic, for the main reason that, in his mind, he cannot reconcile 
the God of the Bible, or a God who is good, with suffering in the world. Now, I found that extremely, extremely interesting. Now, we saw in previous episodes why that is. Because God gave dominion to man, and in doing so, that was his word, and he cannot violate his own word, because God is true. He's, he's not a liar, he will never lie, and he never has. So because of that, he cannot violate his word, and that's why there's suffering in the world, because man made a mess of things, and the world became fallen in the wake of man's own fall. However, for the record, Bart Ehrman is not alone. Exactly. We just wanted to to give you a real good example of somebody, you know, that... Of where perverse thinking or perverse belief can lead you. Exactly. And the opposite is true as well. There are a lot of people that you'll talk to about Christ and you really want them to get saved and you pray for them and, and they always have this verbiage, well, you know, I just can't believe in that kind of a God. In because, a God who would allow blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. there's so much suffering, because, you know, all these things are happening or, you know, they've gone through tragedy and lost a child or gone through different things and and they're just like no you know I, I just can't accept that a good god would allow these things to happen but that's why i want to encourage you to keep on listening in this series um there's a lot of content that we prepared for you guys and we're gonna get like we're gonna we're diving deep in into god is good and you're gonna understand a lot more uh in this episode but as we continue the series you're gonna understand more when you understand uh, your authority in Christ mm. and how you you do have the power to change certain things with faith and with with God's, with God's help help yeah, obviously exactly. and that we're not you know sitting ducks sitting ducks that are just waiting you know for the bad things that do happen in life and that we just can't do anything like there's God has equipped us with a lot to be able to uh, live a good life and be happy and uh, deal with the things that you know, thing the the unfortunate things that do happen. Yeah. So the perverse belief, like you just said, the perverse belief that God is responsible for all the suffering in the world, is what often comes up when you're trying to uh, preach Jesus Christ and preach the message of the good news to people. They often don't want to come to Christ because they're like, if a God, you know, I don't want to come to that God because here's what he did or here's what he, how I perceive him. So this is perverse thinking. But I will tell you this, the belief that God causes or allows all the suffering in the world has made hundreds of thousands of atheists and agnostics. Mm -hmm. It's due to, well, obviously, to perverse belief. Uh, right. The psalm says it's, it's, it's um, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But that's not all. Many Christians, many believers, actually believe this as well. And that belief is perverse. And we're going to prove that to you today. It is a result of perverse thinking and a misunderstanding of who God is, that God of the Bible, the God that we serve, the God that we love. Exactly. So in previous episodes, we've seen how God has relinquished dominion of the earth realm to man in Genesis. And we have also seen how it is man who made a mess of things. Exactly. Just like I said earlier, man made a mess of things. Most of all, 
we have seen how God, because of his word to us in Genesis and in order to, uh, and in order to intervene in the earth realm, requires man to be in covenant and relationship with him. So the responsibility for pain, uh, suffering, and death in the earth is not the will of God or the results of God's actions. Okay, some people believe that, you know, God's up there saying, oh, I'm going to let this happen to them because I have to test their faith. Or you I'm going to cause this. And that, cause that's that. true. We, we believe that because that's what we say. We say, oh, well, this is a test of faith and, you know, where we have to go through it and then God's going to decide if we're faithful. And, you know, that's the, the lingo that we use in churches. Yeah. And we're going to look at the three main reasons for pain death and suffering in the world and they are this and you've heard that before the world the flesh and the devil and how how so let's look at how that works so first of all the world okay we live in a fallen world the world has not been fully reestablished the only thing that's been reestablished is us in covenant with god and the holy spirit working through us but the world is still fallen Sickness, disease, natural disasters, and death are still part of our daily life. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 22, remind us of that fact. Liz, would you read the verse, the, the passage? Creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That's an amazing, profound passage, mm. uh, theologically rich passage. And just that passage alone could be a whole episode. There's so much meat in there. But suffice it to say, that the whole of creation is suffering like a woman in childbirth, birth, tr uh, waiting for everything to be made whole and new and good again, and uh, uh, waiting for the glory of the children of God or our full manifestation as children of God when we uh, reach that, when Jesus comes back. The second thing that uh, is a reason for suffering in the world, the flesh. And by that I mean the sin of man, man's sinfulness. And that's often the main explanation that we're given by pastors and, and theological teachers why there's suffering in the world. They're going to say, well, because of sin, right? And yes, it is definitely a component. Uh, so man is sinful. Man has an evil heart. Uh, man is bent towards doing evil, to being selfish. And also there's man's inadequate exercise of control and dominion. So what I'm saying by this is our sinful and imperfect nature and intelligence, because remember, we have a darkened intelligence. You know, we develop maybe only 17 to 20% of our brains, which isn't much. And that has led to stuff like, for example, faulty buildings and constructions. You know, when uh, I remember maybe 10 years back uh, in Quebec, in Laval, there was a... Uh, how do you call that, Liz? Uh, an, an overpass. overpass. An overpass that completely collapsed. And uh, it killed, I don't know, maybe three, four people. I don't remember how many died. But the overpass fell and crushed. Uh, I think there was even a father and his daughter 
in a car. It was just awful. It made the news, obviously. And they were going to go do an investigation, find out uh, what, caused it. what caused it, whose fault it was, and, and, and the engineering problem. So all that would be avoided in a world where man's brain was 100% and where we didn't have to deal with faulty materials from a fallen world or, you know, all the things that came from our sinfulness and the fall. That's just one example, okay? There's also our wicked imagination will um, bring the manufacturing of weapons and wars, which engender death, evil in our hearts, which engender death as well. Our lusts and our love of money, our love of money, which engenders doing evil things, doing selfish things, and making others suffer so that we can reach our own ends. That is all part of man's sinfulness and brings about so much suffering. And the third one, and not the least, the third thing that brings pain, death, and suffering in the world is, of course, our adversary, Satan or the devil. We know that Satan is the one who loves to steal, kill, and destroy. And in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus reminds us that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. So he loves to kill. He, in the book of Job, he's the one who killed, actually, Job's children. You know, all the people think, oh, God did that. No, he just basically took off the hedge of protection for a little while, and boom, Satan went off on a rampage. Satan just wants to kill believers. <laughs> he's got a bloodlust against us. So now, before we point accusing fingers towards people like Bart Ehrman or even Richard Dawkins, and for those of you who don't know Richard Dawkins, he's the one who wrote The God Delusion. He's probably the world's foremost atheist. So before we blame guys like that for defective or perverse thinking, let's consider our own thinking as people of God, okay? Our own perverse thinking towards God as believers. Let's consider that first. Absolutely. So, you know, we as believers exercise perverse thinking all the time. We just don't know it. We don't always realize it. Like I was saying earlier, uh, we disguise it as being spiritual or humble sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, judgment always begins with the house of God because we are supposed to be the light of the world. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How great indeed. If, if, so in other words, if you have perverse thinking, well, your own light within you will be dimmed. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Exactly. And, um, you know, in religious perverse thinking, we often equate life hardships like cancer, illness, death of a child, loss of a job, uh, poverty with the will of God. And I know for for us, you know, we we struggled with this without even without even realizing that we were doing it, because when you go through uh, difficult times and there's a lot of suffering, you you know you believe in God, you believe in Jesus, and you know that he's your father in heaven. So you have to try to find a reason why this is ha happening. You have to make yeah. sense of it. Yeah. you're So you're trying to justify this thing from happening. And so sometimes because we don't know the answers or we, we just don't have the knowledge, uh, we'll, re we'll resort 
unfortunately to perverse thinking and so I'll give you an example uh, many years back for those of you that don't know our story uh, we did lose a child um, her name was Jennifer and um, I was nine months pregnant and uh, when she came out she was die she was how should I say this? She had underdeveloped she lungs. She wasn't diagnosed right away. So it was she was born through a C-section and it was an emergency C-section. And so she took her first breath, they cut the cord and then she stopped breathing. And so she passed away like a few minutes after. And so we had gone through something that was very, very difficult because first of all, it was a surprise. We had no idea that she had a birth defect. The doctors didn't know she had a birth defect because the lung is something that uh, you use only once you start breathing, once you, you get out of the womb. Yeah, and they can't see it at the ultrasound either. Exactly. So they looked at the lungs and all that at the ultrasound before she was born. But they couldn't see, like, because they develop they in the, was it like the... It's partially Two or three developed. weeks before birth, like yeah. that they really fully... Uh, it's near the grow. end and it even continues to develop after birth as well. And so they were saying that it's since it's... Uh, spongy, it's, spongy yeah, tissue. And it doesn't have air in it yet. The ultrasound can't really see fully if it's fully, fully developed and working properly until the baby takes his first breath of air. Anyway, so to make a long story short, she passed away and you know obviously our whole family you know the like his sebastian side wasn't saved but my family was saved and you know so we had like you know uh sympathies from both sides and so you know the the non-christian side tries to find you know reasoning but they can't so they they're very careful with what they say about God, but it's actually just, the non-Christian side is more careful than what the Christian side will say. Sometimes, sometimes it depends, yeah. but but we you know we went through this and we saw how everybody grieved differently. And yeah. when it comes to God, people cannot understand why God allows something like this to happen. Exactly. You know why would you lose a baby like this and you know to a christian family that really wanted a, a, a child to start with and so you know without us realizing we started having some perverse thinking because we were like well i guess it was god's will i guess you know um you know he knew better and maybe she wasn't going to get saved maybe that's why she oh, you try away. all kinds of um, uh, theological gymnastics right? exactly and you know like uh he, you know, we went through this and through that after that, and maybe it was all for our faith, for strengthening of our faith. Maybe it was to test our marriage, blah, 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 blah. Like we try to find all kinds of different reasonings to that, to, to all this to say, well, God, you're still good because I found this justification in my head. Otherwise, I just am disappointed and I, I just can't live with that, yeah. right? And so for you, it might be something else that you're going through. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're, uh, you know, wanting to be healed and it hasn't happened yet. And so, you know, we find all these reasons. And that's why we wanted to do this podcast for you to see that, you know, the more you understand kingdom authority, the more you understand what you can do in situations like that. Like for me, knowing the knowledge I have now, I would have prayed in faith for her to be resurrected, for her to wake up. And yeah, well, you, you don't always, like, you know, we have a measure of and faith, for her right? And yeah. we oftentimes, we just don't use it. And for her body to be healed, you know? 
And I've heard of miraculous stories where things like that have happened because the person had faith like a mustard seed, understood yeah. their their authority in Christ. And you know what's what's strange is that at the time when when I held her in in my arms and she she had passed away, this little voice inside me said to pray for her because I had already heard stories like uh, Smith Wigglesworth that did stuff like that, yeah. that prayed with authority and the dead rose up, right? So, but at the same time, you always have your this thought in your comes head. Back and says, oh, that's, oh, that's, crazy. that's crazy. That's thinking. not going to happen. Exactly. You know, we can't do that, blah, blah, blah. Because you just don't have the knowledge and the faith that goes with it, right? So, you know, I'm not saying that it's, you know, you can always save each situation from happening, you know. But I'm just saying that there's a lot that that we can, um, there's a lot that we can work with, with God's help, with mm-hmm. his strength, with the proper knowledge and the, the understanding of the, you know, what, what we're to play in this. And stop just waiting for God to do everything, basically. Yeah, and he will do it through us. That's the thing we need to understand if we have enough faith, provided we have enough faith, right? Uh, and and here's the thing with what you what you were saying about ah oh, that must be God's will or oh yeah that's that's that has to be God's will. We made a grave mistake. We have made the grave theological mistake of equating the sovereignty of God and everything happening in the earth realm as being His will. Let me repeat that because that's important. We have made the grave theological mistake of equating the sovereignty of God and everything happening in the earth realm as being His will. This is perverse thinking. And I know for some of you it might come as a shock because maybe you've never heard that before, right? And that that was huge for me because I really believed that every little thing that happened to me in my life was because God allowed it. And, you know, and and that God could have done something different and that because he didn't, he didn't intervene in that instance, then that's his will. And so sometimes things happen to you and it just doesn't make sense. And you're like, well, you're trying to make sense. And then you're like, well, it must be God's will. Well, any of you that are parents, you know that you know, we refer to God as the Father. Well, okay, Sebastian's going to talk about this later. Yeah. <laughs> He's giving me faces. Because <laughs> she's she's kind of a... <laughs> okay, go continue. Selling this short. But that, yeah, we're going to talk about that for sure, the parenting thing. Uh, so we talk as if God's will is to cause us intense pain in order to somehow, through it, bring good things. Now, don't get me wrong. God does use our pain and turn it to good. Just as Romans 8.28 says, right? But He doesn't will the ill. Isn't that nice? It rhymes. God doesn't will the ill. And only very rarely would He cause it, if ever. And I'm saying if ever. I'm, I'm You know, He is God. <laughs> as, so there are probably circumstances in which He might would he like that's debatable theologically so god doesn't will the ill in your life james chapter 1 verse 13 reminds us by saying when tempted no one should say god is tempting me for god cannot be tempted by what's that word evil 
nor does he tempt anyone. So that's talking about temptation, but it can be applicable in doing evil or doing things that appear like, you know, killing or hurting or... So you see, our thinking is partly based on this verse in Job 5.18. In the book of Job 5.18, we read the words of Job's friend, Eliphaz. And it's a very nice sounding verse. And it's a verse you might have heard in a sermon. And it's a verse that we, if we don't read the book in its whole context, we're going to take it as, you see, it's God who causes it. So Eliphaz said this in Job 5.18, he says, For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Now, isn't that a nice sounding verse, right? So God wounds, but he also heals you. So that it's, it's nice. It sounds nice. It sounds theologically sound. However, we forget the reproof of the Lord on Eliphaz at the end of the book, where he accuses Eliphaz of having spoken wrongly of him, of God himself. He basically, at the end of the book, accused Eliphaz of slander. And here's that passage that Liz is going to read for you. It's in Job 42, verses 7 to 9. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and so far the Nemanite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Wow. I mean, so, so you see, like if you read ver- uh, chapter 5, verse... Uh, 18 first and you're like well you see there it is for he wounds he wounds but he also binds up well yeah but here's what he said at the end of the book of this guy he said it was folly and he said that he spoke wrongly about him and he's angry with Eliphaz not because of what he said to Job but what he said about him he says how dare you talk about me like that and that's just part of what Eliphaz said Eliphaz said a lot more than that there's a few chapters, a couple chapters where he speaks. But the lesson is this. We must always keep the Bible in context unless we are guilty of assigning things to God which are not true. Because there are things in the Bible that are not true, that are said by people. Right. They are reported in the Bible, and the Bible is God's word, and God's word is true. But not all that is written in the Bible is true. There are lies in the Bible that are told by either Satan or, or that, people. That or that man is being man, and you know, man is being man. So you have his, to his times of weaknesses, and you know. Exactly. So the lesson is this: okay, it's to keep everything in context. So God is good all the time. God is good all the time, and there's another very good illustration of this in the New Testament, and it's found in Luke chapter. 13. And we're going to talk about a tower that was in Siloam. 
It's called the Tower of Siloam that fell and killed 18 people in the process. So, you know, tragedy happened back then as well. It happened all throughout human history. So back in New Testament days, that made the news, okay? And, and, and the, where Jesus was, that made the news. When that tower fell and killed 18 people, it made the news. And Jesus even commented on the news. <laughs> so we kind of have a, a news commentary from Jesus in that particular passage of Luke 13. And our usual, our usual thinking when something like that happens is, well, act of God. He did this for reasons unknown to us. Perhaps they were judged. Uh, we've had that thinking, oh yeah, tragedy happened over so-and-so place, uh, tornadoes, hurricane, uh, whatever. Uh, God is judging. And yet, what did Jesus say in Luke 13 when he was talking about that tower? Here's what he said. Those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think, and here's the thing I like about this passage, Jesus knows the hearts of men. He knows our perverse thinking. And our perverse thinking hasn't really changed with the centuries. Back then, people had perverse thinking too. So he's addressing that by talking to the crowd. So do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. And there's even an exclamation point there. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So what can we learn from this passage? Well, in this passage, we learn the following. Number one, contrary to what most people thought, the tower didn't fall as a result of God's judgment. It was probably too old or maybe due to a faulty construct. We spoke of that earlier, right? We spoke of the yes. how man can make mistakes. Men are sinful. Men, men are fallen. Our, our brains aren't fully developed and we sometimes build faulty materials. Uh, number two, the people who died were not worse than any of the others in the city. So they weren't evil, sinners, wicked, being judged by God, okay? And finally, biggest lesson is that we need to repent so we can be saved because we know not how our end will come in this fallen, broken, and unpredictable world. So I, I like where Jesus says this is the emergency, the urgency of repentance. This is what this is showing you. You live in a fallen, dangerous world with evil men, with, with Satan who's trying to kill you on a daily basis, with faulty constructs, with uh, overpasses and towers that can fall on you. Repent quickly so that you don't die in your sins, right? So here's what I'm trying to tell you. God is good and he doesn't want any harm or ill or pain or suffering or even death for any. That was not his original plan, his plan from the beginning. In Ezekiel 18.23, we read this. Liz, would you read it for yes. the folks? Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? So keep in mind, this is concerning the wicked, not the redeemed. He doesn't take pleasure in it for the wicked, for the, in, in their death, okay? So how much less for us, his redeemed children? How would he take any pleasure in harm coming to us? And in verse uh, 30 to 32, we read this. So it continues in the same chapter of Ezekiel 18. Repent, turn away from all your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. That's actually prophetic of the New Testament. Why will you die, people of Israel? 
For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Now, isn't that beautiful? Like, I, you, can, you can sense the urgency of the heart of God wanting everyone to come to repentance, like the New Testament tells us in the words of Peter. You know, God, God is not lax, he, he, but He's being patient so that everyone comes to repentance. As for His children, as for us, Here's what Jesus had to say about God's will towards us, his children under the new covenant, okay? Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 to 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Amen. Amen to that. This is such an encouraging and beautiful passage. In this passage, Jesus is correcting our perverse thinking. The point Jesus is making is this. God would never, ever do worse things to us than we do to our children. And whatever good we would do for our children, us being evil, imagine how much more good the Father would do for us. That's what Jesus is saying here. Keep in mind, you who are evil. This is, I like how Jesus phrases it. He's like, don't kid yourselves. You're evil. You've got a wicked heart. But you, and yet, in spite of that, you give your kids good things. How much more the Father will do it for you. So with this in mind, I'm going to give you some examples, okay? If your child had cancer and you had the power to heal, wouldn't you heal your child if he came to you and asked you to be healed? If your child was in need of money and you were a king, rich and wealthy, wouldn't you provide him with more than enough? If your child lost his job and you owned a large and wealthy company, wouldn't you employ him at your company? Wouldn't you give him a job? If your child asked you for some ice cream, even if you are evil, you would give him some. Okay, so that's settled. You would do all these things if you could. And you're evil. The Bible said so. How is it then that even knowing that God is good and perfect in his love for us, we still think that our hurts, pains, trials are His will for us. That, that these things are His doing for us. That is perverse thinking. So Sebastian, what happens when we have perverse thinking and we pray? What happens when we have perverse thinking and we ask God for anything? Yeah, that's a good question. Because, you know, if we, if we don't get rid of our perverse thinking... Well, it's going to make for perverse prayers, okay? This is what happens when we pray and we have perverse thinking. Here's what happens. If we're ill, for example, we pray something like, God, if it be your will, please heal me. Or if we need a job and we can't pay the rent, we pray something like along the lines of, uh, God, if it be your will, please help me to get a job and pay the rent. If our child is dying sick we pray god if it be your will please heal my child if it be your will wow if so, it be your will yeah so that 
just that phrase just shows that you don't have faith even as big as a mustard seed because oh, no, definitely not. you're and, saying to God, well, I, don't I'm, even, I, I really doubt that you're going to really heal that I person. I don't even believe you're good, but I'm going to ask you that. Until we learned better, we were, you know, when it comes to difficult things, you know, whether it's cancer, whether it's difficult circumstances, uh, you know, someone in a coma in a hospital, it's like, if it be your will, God, you know, uh, heal him and wake him up. If not, well, I guess it's your will to take him to heaven. And, you know, it's like, we don't really firmly believe, we don't have faith that God can move mountains. And yeah, and yeah, and the other thing, too, that we need to maybe clarify is that God doesn't need people in heaven. God created the earth for man. And he wants men to be acting out their purpose in the earth realm. That's what man was created for. Man was not created for heaven. Okay, heaven is, a, is your reward for what you've done on earth. He wants to so be... So he won't, he won't take... He won't kill someone because he needs them in heaven for a job. Exactly. He, he wants to be glorified in all things. So the more that you understand that, the more that you pray with authority and he has the chance to intervene and to 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 make things happen so that the you know the non-christians can see that he's working and moving in your life it's for his glory so that's all good but it starts with us we have to put the motion into to play and so when we pray if it be your will we think that we're being spiritual when we pray like that however we are only being faithless in the Father's goodness. God is good. Of course it's His will that you be healthy. Of course it's His will that you have more than enough to live. Of course it's His will that you live and not die. To quote Jesus, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. He knows what we need. And yet, too often another mistake we do when we pray is that we go to God pleading and begging God. Oh, please, Father, give me. You see, the problem with our inexistent kingdom living and blessings are the following. What I mean by that is when we have perverse thinking, it leads to perverse prayer and it leads to no results in our life, in our walk with God. And then we question so many things after all that happens. And we wonder right? why he doesn't answer prayers, we don't have why the we blessings. don't see the blessings. We don't, yeah, we, we, we're not living the blessed life. So the problem with our inexistent blessings is the following, okay? Number one, the book of James says we have not because we ask not. That's the first thing, right? We need to ask, that's the first thing. It also says that we are unstable. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now that's saying, look, when you pray, be firmly established in faith. Don't be tossed to and fro by the what he calls it the, the waves of the driven sea, you know, the tossed by the wind. So basically tossed by circumstances, tossed by you let not your faith be tossed by things around you. 
because when you pray, you might have people saying you're stupid to pray for so and so, or or uh, that's impossible, or because you know, have all kinds of reasonings that are going to make you unstable. So have yeah. faith. Because don't forget, it's 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 doubly hard in a way. It's it's really difficult because everybody else around you is seeing the tangible, the the physical of what you're asking, but you know God and you know any you know, nothing's impossible to him. But sometimes it's hard when we ask certain things because we sort of want to figure out how God's going to solve the problem, but we don't know how he's going to solve it. So you just have to pray in faith and then let the thing, let everything unfold the way he, the wants, way he to, wants it to, to do it. Yeah. And so, you'll be amazed. So the first thing is <laughs> many of us just don't ask. We don't ask. Secondly, we have not because we have no faith. So remember the passage in the beginning where Jesus said, in the beginning of the podcast, where Jesus said, because of your lack of faith, you know, when he was upset and he was calling them for calling them out for perverse thinking. It's because of your lack of faith that you don't have, that you weren't able to cast out the demon. Also, in Nazareth, his hometown, Jesus didn't do many miracles in his own town because, if the scripture tells us, they did not believe. They didn't have the faith. So because of that, Jesus couldn't do. He says it. he couldn't. The passage is really interesting if you want to read it. Uh, I didn't jot down where it is, but I remember that. It, when he's uh, ministering in Nazareth, he couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So a mustard seed is all you need. Oh, I like that. A mustard seed is all you need. <laughs> yes. Let's, we should have a t-shirt with that on. That'd be nice. Okay, number three. Thirdly, we have no faith because we do not really believe that God is good. We, we've seen that so far in our thinking. So how can we expect anything good if we're not fully convinced of His goodness? So we come to God and we ask Him for good things, but we don't really believe He is good. So if we first fix our perverse thinking and first believe that God is really good, not just in word, not just saying like, you know, the tagline, God is good all the time, but really believe it. It will unlock our faith in Him. The assurance and perfect confidence that God is good is the main key to get our prayers answered. Aside from, of course, the faith that you'll exercise as a result. But the, the faith will come as a result of your thinking that he's good, okay? How can you possibly receive from God any good thing if you do not really believe it is his will to give you good things? Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, so chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And through everything he did, and the subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he followed through. He gave us, just like we saw in last episode, everything that pertains to life and godliness. So let us reason together. Since Jesus is no liar, if we do not have that promise, if we do not have life to the full, it has to be on us, not on him. His word is true. He is truthful. So we need to correct our perverse thinking first. It is mostly because of our perverse thinking and lack of faith that we lack God's good gifts. 
So just as James reminds us in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from a father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Okay, so he's not changing and deciding, oh, I won't bless this one today, or, you know, he always has gifts for you and has good for you, for for your plans. Absolutely. So, for your life. Yeah, life to the full is given to us if we believe. Life, life to the max. This is what Jesus came to give us. So, moving mountains is possible if we believe first that God is good. See, like it says, if you have faith, you'll move mountains, but you have to have correct faith. You have to have correct faith. You have to have the right faith in who you believe, you know? I know who I have believed. Yeah, this is why this podcast is so crucial for you to understand. And if you have to go back, listen, take notes, because um, I know for me, it really made a big difference in my prayer life and what I had faith to ask God for, because now I really, really believed, you know, 100% that He wants my best and that He is good and, you know, that I have a part to play in this with him. Mm. So that makes a whole difference in your prayer life as opposed to praying like, if it be your will and I don't understand. Yeah. Well, it's a game blah, changer blah, blah, blah. in your Christian walk. Exactly. It's a game changer. It's really a huge game changer. It all starts with understanding that God really is good. Change this in your life. Change this in your thinking. And right away, your life will change. Do not be conformed, like we said at the beginning of the episode, but be transformed. So what other Bible passages tell us of God's goodness? Well, here's a few. We jotted them down for you. So you guys can just maybe just write the reference as we go down that list. But there's so many in the Bible. Uh, I didn't put them all there, but I just took the ones that I thought were the most inspiring. So Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm going to read them to you. You want to read all of them? Um, just before that, I just want to say, you know, I noticed with our children when we pray before they go to bed, you know, when they want to go to gymnastics or they, they want something, um, you know, when you, uh, when you talk to them and you say, okay, then let's pray together and ask, you know, God for this, this certain thing they're not you know doubting like they really get it they really understand you know my four-year-old caitlin gets it that god is her father she knows he's good and she knows she has two dads and she says it all the time so when we talk about god she says god my father you know like and she's it's for her it's so simple and so when she prays for a certain thing that you know, she's asking God for, it's it's done in her head that it's it's going to happen and that yeah. God is good and he's going to give it to doubts. her. She never doubts. She never doubts about his goodness. Exactly. Ever. Because, you know, the reference is like, well, you know, my earthly father is good. So my, my God in heaven is even better. He's even greater. He's God almighty, right? Mm-hmm. Like they haven't been corrupted by... Different, different things around them and seeing negative thinking and and you know that those false beliefs yeah. so they're not in doubt yeah That's and jesus said that the, that, that the kingdom of god is of, of such as these in other words that that we have to be have, have faith to, if like, you're a, like child. a child if, exactly. if you believe god like your child believes you well guess what it's going to open 
incredible blessings in your life. And that's that's what I find as an adult is the toughest things to get back to that yeah. mode where we trust God like just like a little child, you know, and that we believe in, in his goodness just like our ch- children believe in our goodness towards them and they don't hesitate in asking us for anything, really. Exactly. So we have to, to think about that. Go back to thinking you know if you were a child like how would you think how would you pray you know you wouldn't have this doubt you you would pray differently because you haven't been you know corrupted by that thinking and it's a it's an unlearning process and you can you can correct it like there's a lot of things that we say sometimes that me and sebastian will stop and say oh that's not the right way like i'm doubting just by saying this way just by talking this way, I'm doubting. Yeah, and it happens to all of us. And I, it happened once we were praying together and Liz said something. I was like, I'm not praying with you. <laughs> she was looking at you like, what? I was like, I'm not praying with you. You're going to, you know, you're going to sabotage our prayer. <laughs> because I could see she wasn't in faith. And it happens to me as well. And sometimes she, yeah. she calls me on it. And, and you know, it's, it's very subtle in the wording we use. You can see right away if the person is that person I'm praying with in faith. And it's For stuff like, things. if it be your will, right there, you know, like, run away, man. Just get up and say, oh, I'm going to go pray alone now in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we try not to use that anymore. So now I'm going to read Jeremiah 20, uh, sorry, chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now write that down, stick it on your fridge and look at it every day and reread it and reread it and reread it. Like brainwash yourself to understand and really believe this verse Amen. because I... it's true, because it's God's promise to you and you have to believe it 110% so that you, you, you do grow your faith. Okay? Sure, the promise was to the nation of Israel, but it makes no difference. It's still the heart of God that's speaking, and it's, it, it can apply to individuals as well. Exactly. Psalms 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Amen to that. Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And need I remind you guys, we are blameless in Christ. We are blameless in Christ. Okay, never forget that. In Psalm 86, verse 5, it says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. For you, Lord, are good. See, uh, Psalm 107 verse 1 give thanks to the lord for he is good his love endures forever that is one of the one favorite we there's a song written i think michael w yes. smith in psalm 140 uh, chapter 145 verse 9 it says the lord is good to all he has compassion on all he has made wow so you see that verse encompasses all of his creation. So, you know, that passage in Ezekiel we were reading? So even the wicked, if they would repent, you know, he doesn't take pleasure in their death. He exactly. wants them to repent. So he's got compassion on all he has made. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. 
No one is good except God alone. So even uh, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, since he was in the flesh, <laughs> he didn't even dare call himself good. In other words, imagine the goodness of God if Jesus himself didn't feel comfortable being called good. Mm. That's, that's something to ponder right there. Like if Jesus himself didn't consider himself good enough to be called good, just how good is the Father? Think about that. Yeah. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And there you go, the word reward. I mean, dear friends, rewards are given to us because he is good. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense if God wasn't good that he would reward us. So now we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, as we reach the, the end of this teaching, we're going to talk a little bit about the power of being in agreement with heaven. In order to have what heaven has, we must agree with what heaven says. Jot that down. In order to have what heaven has, we must agree with what heaven says. Or maybe you can put it in the first person, you know. In order to have what heaven has, I must agree with what heaven says. Unless we come in full agreement with what the kingdom of God is, says, and how it operates, we cannot possibly enjoy its fruit in our lives. There is great power in being in agreement with heaven. He is good. He is your Father. He loves you. And I know you, you guys are not used to hearing me uh, say mushy stuff like that because <laughs> I'm not that mushy, you know. But today, in today's episode, I really wanted to encourage your hearts in changing your perverse thinking. I want, I, basically, I'm aiming that this podcast will touch your heart so that your mind will be changed. He's the king. He's wealthy beyond limits. And his kingdom, just like the Bible says in Luke 12.32, is yours. In Luke 12.32, Jesus says, Do not be afraid little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And in James chapter 2, verse 5, this passage encourages us with, with these words. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? What wonderful promises we have been given by God, by the Father, through Christ Jesus. So, we trust that this teaching has been a great encouragement to you. We trust that your belief and approach towards God will be renewed and changed with what you learned here today by listening to this podcast. And we trust that you will, by this renewed mind and understanding, just like Hebrew 4.16 says, we trust that you will approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. And uh, before we end the podcast, uh, Liz, could you tell our, our contact information for people? Yes, if you want to subscribe to uh, have 
all these podcasts, well, we send out one every week, sent to your inbox, just go to thrivingonpurposepodcast.com. And uh, right there on the page, even on the first page, you'll see a place where you can sign up. Just put in your email and we'll send you every podcast so that you don't miss an episode. Super. And this week, we're going to end the podcast differently. We've never done this. We actually never did what I'm about to do right now, which is play a song. Okay. So we will end with a beautiful song by Chris Tomlin. And the title of that song is good, good father. And what I want you to do as this podcast ends, I want you to listen to those lyrics. Let the words go to your heart. And just like our father, I just want you to guys, you guys to know, our listeners, we love you guys too. Just want you guys to know that. And this is why we're doing this. So we're wishing you a great week. And we're going to make you have a great listen to this wonderful, beautiful song by Chris Tomlin. Good, good father. Be blessed. And thrive on.
Thanks for listening to the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time, be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.